Greetings and welcome to the window. Good afternoon, Dr. Joe. How are you, Doctor? It's good to see you too. You know what? Some days it's good to see anyone in the studios where we record. We're looking out the window at an accident, a very bad car accident that happened. And so some days you just have to stop and be thankful for what didn't happen that day. So we are just so happy that we even got to the studio today and nothing happened to us on our way. And that's a moment for all of our listeners, perhaps, to just pause and reflect on saying a word for everyone who did have something happen today that's unfortunate and to be grateful for everything that didn't happen to you. And so that's the note on which we'll start today's show. And and I think you told me that um, the police said someone was going 90 miles an hour down the street. Right. There was someone going 90 miles an hour. And actually in the national news, there's a lot going on in the national news today, but there have been a couple of incidents of fairly high profile people who have been involved in car accidents by speeding and doing other things that perhaps were reflective of the state of mind that they were in. So just a a caution to everyone, if there's anything that you should be dealing with in some functional and productive way, please do so. Just one moment can change your lives and change other people's lives forever. So just a moment of reflection on just life in general today. And I was telling you earlier today that some days I get to locations and I don't remember driving there. Our minds are in so many other things, so distracted. Right, right. And and like today, I was thinking about the the trial in Atlanta of the three Caucasian men and the black bicycle rider. Ahmed Marbury. No, he, was, he, was he was jogging. jogging. He was jogging. jogging. Yes. And um. I saw my son jogging, even though he wasn't a jogger, but that could happen to any young black men jogging through a community, I guess. And and then to make matters worse, there is only one black person on the jury. So in the past on the window when we've had high profile cases, we've had experts come in and talk to our listeners so that they can follow what's going on, not just based on the intense emotion surrounding events like that, but also based on the law as it stands in the United States today. So we'll be watching how that trial progresses. There was a big house spending bill passed this week. There was a funeral service for General Cola Powell. So Mm -hmm. much going on around the world and of course we have what's going on in in each of our individual lives as well as we end yet another calendar year in the midst of our continuing pandemic and so forecasts are that this holiday year will be like no other once again in terms of supply shortages which we've talked about on this show is just a great opportunity Mm -hmm. to focus on the holidays for what they really are gift giving is a great thing but just being here and being with other human beings is a blessing. And family and reflecting on past holidays and planning for the future. I mean, I'm in my bucket list, Dr. Joe. I'm looking over the top of it and what I can offer to 
posterity? What can I give back? And you know what? I have a bucket list, things I want to do before I kick the bucket, but I also have a hole in the bucket list, things I never have to do again in my life, things I never want to do. And that's very relevant in my life and in yours Amen. to our topic for today. Dr. I and I go back a long way, and we've gone through some really high points in our lives, and we've gone through some low points in our lives as well. And so we are pleased to say that the topic for our show today starts with the word surviving. Mm -hmm. Surviving. And in particular, we're going to talk about surviving domestic violence. Because what some people don't know, people who know us well know this, but each one of us are domestic violence survivors. And um, domestic violence doesn't necessarily mean someone punching you in the eye. It can be a domestic uh, act with, between two people that hurts you mentally, emotionally, um, and so we have a, a expert that's going to be joining us today named Lillian Howard. We do, and to set the context for her being with us, we should let our listeners know if they don't already that October, which as we, as we record this show, we are just ending the month of October, if you can believe that, was Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Domestic Violence Awareness Month was an opportunity for those of us who have survived, hopefully for those who are going through, and for people who are helping others involved in domestic violence get through that situation. So as we prepare for our, for our guests for today, since we've created a bit of intrigue, just let me tell a teeny bit of my story, okay. and then we will um, continue to share our own reflections as we talk with our expert today. So my experience with domestic violence happened many decades ago. And I, as so many other people who are going through it, thought that domestic violence happens to someone other than me. I had a profile in mind of the kind of person who would stand by and let someone verbally abuse them, verbally dis demean them, and then physically punch them. That was just not me. And so when that did happen to me in my first marriage, I began to attribute it to something other than what it was. And I made excuses for it. And I denied it. And I continued to go back into that situation based on promises that things would get better and that perhaps I had caused an incident by something I said or did or didn't do. And so I vowed to myself to be a better person to avoid those types of situations. And it wasn't until finally my situation got so bad that one fine evening I ended up in the emergency room and I shared with the emergency room workers a story that my spouse and I had agreed to make up. And the emergency room was compelled to call for the officials and the officials came and we told them the same story. And then in a life changing move, I decided to call my sister. I called her from the emergency room when I was able to slip away for a moment. And she called my parents. And once my family got involved, they tried as many families do initially to help me by talking to me and by reasoning with me, but ultimately it got to a situation that we're gonna to call tough love. And so that is the summary of my story, but why don't we go ahead and bring our guest on the line and she can fill in some of the blanks. 
There's an organization here in Central Ohio called Choices, and our listeners tune in from all over the country. I'm convinced there are similar organizations wherever you are. And my interaction with Choices saved my life, not only in terms of the domestic violence situation I was in, but in terms of what they taught me about self-respect and self-esteem and self-empowerment. And so our guest today is Lillian Howard, who's the Director of Clinical and Supportive Services for Choices. And she's going to talk to us more about not just domestic violence, but our goal today is for our listeners to really reflect with us on whether you fit the profile of someone who's currently in a domestic violence situation or perhaps there's a loved one you know who's going through it. So Lillian Howard, thank you for joining us today on The Window. Thank you so much for inviting me and thank you so much for being brave to share your story um, because many times, many folks feel like that they are the only ones that this is happening to and that there is no one out there that is experiencing this. So having other people to hear that you, you also experience that is so very important. So thank you so much uh, for your story. Um, as, as stated, my name is Lillian Howard and I'm the Director of Clinical and Supportive Services at what is known as LSS uh, Choices. Um, several years ago, LSS Choices. Um, several years ago, LSS Choices was a small agency that was um, a standalone agency, and it wasn't doing well standing alone. And fortunately, Lutheran Social Services saw us and came by and um, said we would be honored to take them under our wing. So now we're no longer uh, known as Choices, but we are known as LSS Choices, and we're a part of the Lutheran Social Services System that in, uh, had uh, gave us the opportunity to build a brand new shelter from the ground up. It offered us an opportunity to provide um, more services and an increase in the number of people. Sister Lillian, are you still there? This is um, Iris. Hello. Let's continue with telling our stories okay. while she comes okay. back okay. on the line. I've so got she a story. mentioned that choices involves shelters. Mm -hmm. So in my situation, and she'll tell us more about that, I didn't have to be sheltered. I had a place to live. It's just that my home was the source of domestic violence. And so one of the services that I know others have been able to take advantage of through organizations like LSS Choices, and many thanks to her for the correction, one of the services that they've had to take advantage of is the fact that they have needed some place to go. They haven't had a home that they could stay in and be safe with themselves and with their children. And so sheltering is one of the numerous services provided by LSS Choices, as well as whoever in your community, if you're listening, needs those types of services. You might not have the financial means to go and live somewhere other than where your abuser is. You may have small children and no one to care for them. You may just be afraid to stay where you are. I didn't need sheltering, I needed counseling. I needed someone to talk to me 
and explain to me the phenomenon. And Lillian mentioned me telling my story. I wouldn't tell my story for a long time. I was embarrassed, I was afraid, and once I learned more about the phenomenon, I realized that I was obligated, and I won't say that to everyone, it's your story and you can keep it private, but I felt I was obligated to talk to other women and men. We'll talk about the fact that men can be subjected to domestic violence as well. And just to add, um, before we uh, reconnect with our guest, um, I lived a double life for 12 years. I had one face that would uh, appear at the bank um, at eight o'clock on Monday mornings with a smile and a costume and then another face as I would go home in the evenings knowing that things were going to go from uh, managed to unmanaged very quickly and I pretended um, to be these two different people for 12 years until it exploded and I couldn't do it anymore and I actually co-wrote a book about it called when the devil is beating his wife and that's an old southern african-american saying that means that when the the storm is coming, it's raining, but on the other side of the sky, there's a sun shining. And so everybody at the bank thought that I had it all together, you know, married with children, community leader, banker, the whole nine yards. But when I went home in the evening, I was a totally different person with no self-esteem and no courage to speak up for myself. And so um, we know that this situation continues today. And Sister Lillian, are you are you there now? Yes, ma'am, I am. Okay. I am so sorry. I am. I somehow got cut off. Okay. I apologize. We're glad that you're back. We're glad that you're back. Um, tell us about your journey and how you became connected to choices and being involved in the the and your and your position with LSS Choices. And um, talk louder, please. Okay, um, what I can share is that I um, have, uh, my back, uh, background started off in uh, criminal justice and paralegalism. So I have a bachelor's degree in that, and then I eventually wanted to get a master's, and so I went into uh, counseling. And from counseling, um, I started working in the alcohol and drug field. So I've been in the field for well over 30 years providing services. And one of the things that that allowed me to do was I came in contact with domestic violence uh, victims um, through, through, through my work um, um, in counseling, because many of the folks that end up in alcohol and drug treatment, many of the people that end up in mental health services, those are actually folks who are um, dealing with victim symptoms, and many times the underlying issue is um, domestic violence that's happening in the home. Um, I've been uh, a case manager, a counselor. I've worked in alcohol and drug treatment. I have worked in crisis services. And so all of the different um, the jobs that I've had over my life, which included working with families, working with individuals, has led me to uh, eventually there was a position open as a, a, a clinical supervisor at uh, Choices. And so I moved into a role of working um, at Choices, and I've been there since 2011. Um, so my, my experience led me to what I've been doing now, which is uh, working with DV victims, 
um, and people who are involved with intimate partner violence and supervising staff that are providing services to those individuals. So Lillian, we started the show by saying that we just ended the month of October, which was Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So throughout the hour, we're just going to break this down a step at a time. Tell us what it is we should be aware of as it relates to this thing called domestic violence. Um, I, I think I got cut off when I was sharing with you all the definition of domestic violence or intimate partner violence is really abuse. That is a pattern of physically and emotionally violent and coercive behaviors that one person uses to exercise power and control over another individual. Many times people get involved with someone and they think that they're in a relationship that is an equal relationship. Abusers are very manipulative, they're very cunning, and they're also very charming individuals. And so in the beginning of the relationship, abusers want to know everything there is about the person that they're getting involved with. They want to know their likes, their dislikes. Um, They want to know about their past relationships and things that have happened to them, because eventually those things will be used against you and turned against you. But in the very beginning, I always say that that abusers like to wine and dine us. They want to make sure that they're taking us to the restaurant that we enjoy going to, that they're going to the movies that we like to go to, that we're watching TV shows that we like to watch. Um, And so red flags that happen in those relationships is typically they move very quickly in that relationship. All of a sudden, they will say things to you like, I fell in love with you and I just saw you across the hallway, or I saw you at the church, or I was at the bar or party and I saw you across the room and I immediately fell in love with you. They don't know you. That's not how love works, but that's how they start to reel you in. Then they start talking about, you know, that we're going to get married and, and have kids together and live together, and you haven't even really dated this person much. It's only maybe a couple of weeks that you guys have been going out and dating each other each other and they're already talking about moving in together or getting married or having kids together um so they moved the relationship very very quickly um and so it's the red flags are all very subtle things that are kind of like neon lights for an individual that understands the difference between a healthy and an unhealthy relationship they start to uh, mentally abuse you and put you down um, and, and, and make uh, uh, decisions in that relationship and take away your power in that relationship as well. Although the survivor may see, be thinking that they're involved with a person who is on an equal basis with them, it really isn't. The dynamics in the relationship is that the abuser is in control of everything. The abuser starts to isolate that individual from their family members and their friends. Um, They start to uh, coerce and intimidate that individual uh, and uh, prevent that person from uh, being involved with other people so that they can have all the power in the relationship. Abusers say things like, you don't have to hang out with your family members. You don't need to visit your friends. You don't need to go out and have dinner with your coworkers. The only thing that we need is each other. And by the abuser doing that, that allows them to then gain control over you and start to exude control over you that affects uh, your finances, uh, that uh, may affect your relationship with your family members as well as your friends, and also starts to break down your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself. And so why does the victim allow this to happen? Um, It's not that the victim allows it to happen. It happens. Um, I don't believe anybody wants this kind of thing to happen to them. 
it it becomes a relationship in which we know it can be cyclical and it starts out with what i what we have called the, the honeymoon phase in which something may have happened where the abuser put you down called your names may have slapped you around all of a sudden they apologize for that i'm sorry it's not going to happen again i promise you i i'm really sorry it was because i was so stressed at work or it was because I got upset because I lost a family member or friend, and that's the reason why that situation happened. So they apologize, and they start to be attentive again. They start to be very charming again. And you, and the victim starts to remember, oh, this is who this person really is, because they were that way at the beginning of the relationship. So then it moves into what kind of is known as the tension-building phase, where people in the relationship, uh, fam- you know, everybody in the household is kind of walking on eggshells. The abuser is becoming what I call prickly and irritable, becoming difficult to get along with. And then all of a sudden, then something happens, which is like the explosion phase. So something uh, uh, people either get hit verbally, uh, sexually, something may happen and you get raped. Or it may be that you've just been verbally torn down by this individual and threatened. And then it moves back into what is known as the honeymoon phase, where that person apologizes, I'm really sorry. So the uh, victim or the survivor thinks, okay, the person is back to who they really are. But then it goes through this cycle of things, and so that is sometimes why um, it is happening in the relationship. I don't believe that uh, a survivor ever allows these things to happen. I think they're caught up in that relationship, and it can be a cycle. And they do remember that there was a period of time where the abuser was a very nice, attentive um, individual in that relationship. Sister Lillian, um, can you give us, and we're going to need to take a break in just a few minutes, give us a profile of a domestic violence victim? Is there a, a description you can give of the age the gender the the nationality what do you see in your counseling who who's coming in the door okay domestic violence can affect anyone it can be in a heterosexual relationship it can be in a homosexual relationship transgender individuals can be involved in it it can be people of different religions. They can be Catholic. They could be Baptist. They could be Muslim. They could be Hindu. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the social economic standard of that person. It can be an individual that's living in the Linden area on the west side, or it could be somebody that's living in Powell, Dublin, or New Albany. Um, it can be black, white, yellow, brown. It does not matter who you are anybody can get caught up in the relationship with a a a domestic violence abuser it does not matter about those things Uh, people we see who come into our services are individuals who have been broken down they have a very low self-esteem they typically have a difficulty making eye contact with you they don't know what their wants and needs are because they are so caught up in the wants and needs of the um, uh, abuser that they don't even know what they need and how to get those things and what it is that they want in their lives because their time is spent making the abuser happy. Um, it can be an individual that has got several kids with the abuser. It can be somebody that doesn't have any kids with the abuser. So the makeup of an individual varies, but anyone can get caught up in a relationship with uh, uh, an abuser. 
And what about the abuser? Is there a profile for someone who is abusive and can that person ever change? That is a good question. Um, Typically, abusers are going to be people who may have seen abuse in their household. We know that males who grow up in the household where there was domestic violence, they learn that behavior and they're at increased risk of doing that in other relationships with people. So that certainly is someone that um, can can, uh, fall toward that line. Um, abusers are also those individuals who abuse because it makes them feel good about themselves because they may not feel good. They themselves may have low self-esteem. And so they uh, abuse other victims because it makes them feel good about themselves. Um, one of the things that we know is that for many of the batterers intervention programs that are out there, the, the rate of people getting better and doing well in those programs is very low. Um, there have been different statistics that have been quoted anywhere from like 5 to 8 to 10% of the folks that participate in those programs actually uh, come out and do well. Um, most of them don't because many of the abusers, they, they, uh, they are comfortable with the behavior that they're using over other people. Um, and so sometimes it's very difficult. One of the things that I will say is that not only can, you know, we talk a lot about males being abusers, but we also have to remember that in some relationships, men are abused as well, and that there are females who abuse others. So what is it then that finally brings a person to an organization like LSS Choices to get help? And what do you do when they come? I think what would typically happen, it varies for individuals. One of the things that we know is that it takes a, a victim or a survivor in that relationship six to eight times of leaving and going back, leaving and going back before they're finally done with that relationship. A lot of that has to do with the manipulation, the charmingness of the uh, abuser, the cunning, the fact that they're dependent on that individual because abusers isolate you so much that it prevents you from one, from being able to take care of yourself. So there's a lot of feel with that. Abusers also threaten you when you decide to leave. And so an individual's risk of being harmed increases when they make the decision to leave uh, the relationship as well. So it, it, it varies from person to person. Many times, one of the things that, that I've heard often is that for especially women in a relationship, they will stay and take the abuse in the relationship until the abuser starts to look at their kids and start abusing the kids. And for many people, they walk in the door because it's like, oh, my God, you know, he can, he can slap me around. He can abuse me. But when he laid his hands on my kids, that was the final straw right there. I couldn't take it any longer. So it's, it's some of those kinds of things that happen. It's when other professionals get involved, like the police department, like other agencies, like family members or friends who get involved and let that person know that there is help out there. For many people, they do not know that our choices is in our community. For many folks, they don't know a domestic violence agency exists in their community and can provide help and support. Um, so knowing that some that there's an agency, that there are people out there that care about them and can help them, a lot of times that's what happens when folks come uh, into our building or what gets them into our services. So we're going to pause for a break in just a moment and continue to talk about surviving domestic violence. But for people who are listening in the central Ohio area, how do they get in touch with LSS Choices? 
We have a 24-hour hotline, um, and that hotline is actually, the number is 614-224-4663. Anyone can call that hotline day or night for support, uh, for safety planning, for figuring out what to do to get involved, um, uh, to get out of that relationship, and also to find out what services we have, how we can help them, and to get involved in our services. So we're going to talk more about those services that help victims survive domestic violence when we come back on The Window. We're back on the window. We're talking about surviving domestic violence, not just experiencing domestic violence, but how to survive it with Lillian Howard from LSS Choices. We're going to talk more about the services offered by organizations like Choices, LSS Choices, which exist around the country. But first, let's talk a bit about triggers. We said that October was Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Now we're in November and December as we record this show, the holiday season, stressful seasons. Is, is there any truth to the notion that domestic violence increases around the holiday season, Lillian? I, I believe that there certainly is an increase because there's a lot of stress that happens um, during that period of time for sure. Um, what I will tell you, what, uh, the most stressful thing that we've seen right now has been the pandemic. Um, we knew that when the governors across the country and even across the world, there were nations that were shutting down as well. We knew that uh, victims were going to be isolated with their abusers, and this was going to be prime for abusers to say, hey, we got this pandemic going on. Uh, we can't go anywhere. And so victims were certainly isolated um, in their home um, as well. What has happened is that Choices has certainly noticed that as things started to kind of open up a little bit last fall, that we've seen an increase in the number of calls to our hotline, and we've also seen an increase in the number of people that are seeking out our shelter services. Our shelter has been at or near capacity uh, since December of last year. And so the pandemic itself has, has already increased the amount of, of victims that are being harmed, that are being threatened uh, by their abusers. And so does things happen? Does the holidays, certainly does that put it on uh, increase for people? Yes, but the pandemic uh, is one of the things that we've seen and it has not gone away. And so we've, we've continued to see the numbers rise. Um, one of the things that the police department has started noticing as well as what we've noticed uh, is that abusers are becoming more and more dangerous. Uh, we've seen an increase in the number of people that have been strangled uh, by their abusers. Uh, many times people think that abusers need a gun in order to uh, kill a person or to cause harm, and that is just not true. Abusers can put their hands on you, they strangle you, and they can actually kill you. And so many of our uh, survivors that are coming into our services are sharing with us that abusers have put their hands on them and attempted to harm them that way as well. Um, so the pandemic has really increased that stress level and it has not really gone down uh, since, it, uh, since things started to open up last uh, fall and into the winter. And we have to talk about money, Sister Lillian. Money yes. can be a major trigger for arguments. 
and uh, can you speak on your experience with with having women come to you or men over mm-hmm. money issues? Yes. Uh, we know that financial abuse is probably one of the, the most significant things that happens in a relationship when you're involved with an abuser. Um, and it is one of the things that um, really does um, detriment and really um, harms a, vic- uh, a survivor as well as their children. And it's, it's something that um, is difficult to overcome once you're involved with an abuser as well because they take away all of those things from you. Abusers isolate you. They prevent you from working if you are working. Um, if you have a job, they show up at your job. They call you repeatedly or text you repeatedly. Or they're the individuals, if you do, if you have a job, they're uh, driving you to work and uh, sitting in the parking lot and waiting for you uh, and uh, when you come uh, uh, out from work. So that's another abusive intimidation, uh, uh, t- isolated tactic that they use to k- keep you in a relationship. Abusers also prevent you from getting your own money. Uh, so many times, instead of you having an account that the money goes into your name, if you are working, it goes into the abuser's name, and then the abuser then gives you an allowance uh, from that um, as well. Um, so uh, that certainly does create a lot of stress. We certainly see a lot of people who come into our, uh, our office and especially our community advocacy services during the holidays where they had saved up money for their kids uh, to buy uh, toys and, and, and uh, you know clothing and gifts for the holiday season and the abuser took all that money for themselves. Um, or there's not enough money for a meal, uh, the holiday meal. And so we see people seeking out services for those things. Um, Abusers will ruin your credit. So if you've got a decent credit, they may take out credit cards in your name and and, uh, not pay those things and uh, destroy your credit record. Uh, They may also um, destroy your rental history, which is, again, related to financial uh, abuse. Um, The apartment or the mortgage is in your name. The abuser destroys the property, or you may be forced to leave the property because of the abuse that's happening uh, in the property. And so uh, or you may get evicted from your home because of that as well. And it's in your name. So the abuser will ruin your uh, credit. Um, as well as your rental history um, that way as well. What about uh, alcohol and drugs? Many times people think that um, an abuser is doing the things that they're doing because they're on drugs or they're drinking alcohol. That, unfortunately, is just not the case. It is the fact that it may exacerbate and get worse because that person, the abuser, is under the influence of drugs and alcohol. But many people get high every day. Many people get drunk on a regular basis, and they don't come home, and they um, harm the people or threaten the people that are in their household. And so that's one of the things that we work with victims and survivors on when they come to us for services because they're thinking, oh, it's only because this person's got a mental health diagnosis. Oh, it's only because this individual is under the influence of drugs and alcohol. So one of the things that we do is to start to take a look at the relationship, the, the whole picture of the relationship, start to provide education and help that person identify other areas that are going on even when that person is not under the influence. Okay, so money and sex and what to have for dinner tonight and family and what you where to on, go what and you wearing. what not to go and the holidays, all of those can be 
reasons, quote unquote, for domestic violence. None of them Mm -hmm. are legitimate reasons for staying in a relationship where you're being mentally and emotionally and physically abused. So let's spend the rest of this show talking to our audience and please hear us if you see yourself in this or if you see a loved one in this. Dr. I and I are sitting here right now in this studio, survivors on the other side of tremendously horrible domestic violence situations. Lillian, how do you help people get there? Um, One of the things that certainly, like I shared with you guys before the break, is our 24-hour crisis hotline. We have staff that are trained to, um, that are always there to answer the hotline no matter day or night. And we are willing to talk to individuals and, and to safety plan with them and also to connect them to services. So that's one of the first things that they can do is they can call us anytime, day or night for our help, support, and services. When people think of choices, a lot of times they think of our shelter services. Um, but we offer other things besides shelter. Um, we also offer, um, we have community advocates that are based in the community because sometimes people can't leave immediately from the abuser, uh, because the abuser has threatened that if you do leave me, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill your kids or I'm going to harm the cat or the dog. And so people don't leave because of those reasons. So our community advocates can start to work with that person to help them come up with a plan so that they can safely leave that relationship. Community advocates help individuals to look at other resources that are available in the community, such as moving out of that housing, um, breaking a lease if they need to do that, um, uh, connecting them to legal services if they need uh, an attorney. If they're looking to get a divorce or separation, or even uh, if they're trying to uh, get a protection order. Um, We also have funding available to help with rental assistance if that is um, something that is needed, in addition to other funding that we might have available uh, to help with other things to assist that individual. We also have counseling. Uh, Our counselors are based in the community and they're helping individuals to deal with the depression, the anxiety, the post-traumatic stress that comes from either they're in that relationship and they're dealing with those things or they left that relationship and they're dealing with those symptoms. Um, We have a legal advocate who is available to help individuals to navigate the court system. Uh, If they're looking to get a a protection order, that person can walk with them through that process. Also get them uh, connected to attorney services if needed, other community resources if needed, walking through the process if they're trying to get a divorce or if they're looking for uh, separation or if they're dealing with child custody issues. Um, In addition to that, we certainly, uh, in the past, We've provided support groups so that people could meet up with other survivors to support each other and uh, to deal with uh, being involved with an abuser and also an education class. Uh, Unfortunately, COVID has put those things on hold, and I am hoping that as more and more folks get um, uh, vaccinated, that we're going to be able to eventually start those groups um, in the future. When people come into our shelter services, they are assigned a case manager. Uh, that case manager does the same thing that the community advocate does. 
uh, that uh, they're linking them to resources uh, and also walking with them through that process so they're not doing those things and accessing services uh, alone. In addition to that, we have a crisis clinician uh, that is helping folks to deal with their depression and anxiety when they come into our shelter services, as well as help develop uh, coping uh, skills. Um, and in uh, house in the shelter, there is groups that are helping uh, individuals to uh, develop uh, coping mecha- uh, skills as well as to learn the difference between a healthy and an unhealthy relationship, learn how the domestic violence and trauma has affected them as well as their children, and also helping them to develop other ways of dealing with their triggers. Uh, Along with that, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, we're talking about the mindset of the victim. Mm -hmm. The mindset of the perpetrator or the bully or whatever you want to call it is often a concern for the victim mm-hmm. that if in fact I've had enough I'm packing my bags I'm leaving that can trigger the fear that my life is in danger and mm-hmm. maybe I just better stay and tough it out because I don't want to die because I've got children and I have to be here for them talk to me about that fear of the of the the perpetrator um it is it's a very real fear uh perpetrators do carry out their promise they will say that they will kill you and they really do follow through with it so their fear is very real um what we do is we work with individuals to um once we get them in their shelter if franklin county and columbus is not a safe place for them to be uh, we look at the, getting them to uh, a safer place. That could be another city. It could be another state or another county. So our services, we're going to work with you if we can get you into our ser- uh, services, into our shelter. We're going to work with you to get you to a safer place. Uh, many of our victims don't leave because of the children or they don't leave because of their animals. Uh, we know that uh, uh, abusers abuse the animals in the household, and many victims don't leave because of their dogs their, and their cats and their other pocket animals. We uh, are closely connected to the Columbus Humane, and we have a, a, a animal shelter there at our shelter, and so we're able to bring the family in as well as the animals uh, into our shelter to protect them um, as well. Um, so, yes, abusers are very frightening people. Again, if I go back to the pandemic, which is probably the most stressful thing that people have been dealing with for the past year, um, ODVN released their statistics about what had happened during the past year, and there was a 20% increase in the number of folks who were killed and uh, by their abuser in the state of Ohio um, last year. So we knew the numbers were going to go up, and they did. In addition to that, 15 children were killed by an abuser last year. And that was something that was new because usually time we didn't see that many kids getting harmed or killed in those relationships, and we have seen that. But what we do is we encourage people to link out to the police department uh, and to uh, choices services in order to get, uh, to, to get safely into our shelter services if they're at intimate risk of being killed or harmed by their abuser. We'll talk more about specific steps that you can take and help your family members and your loved ones take to survive domestic violence when we come back on The Window. 
We are back on the window. We have about 10 minutes left, and we're going to spend every single second of that time talking to victims of domestic violence or people who are observing others going through domestic violence about what to do to get to the other side of that safely. We're with Lillian Howard from LSS Choices. Lillian, if I understand correctly, what you were telling us before the break is that if a victim reaches out to an organization like yours in Columbus, it's called LSS Choices, that you can help them come up with a plan that's specific to them that encompasses all of the tools they will need to survive, the legal system, where to live if they need a place to live, how financially to try to come up with a plan to help themselves how to know what it is the abuser is going to try to get them to stay, a plan that specifically relates to them. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. We take a look at what's going on in their relationship, and we work with them to come up with a safety plan based on that. And what happens, you also mentioned not only calling an organization like yours, but perhaps as an alternative, calling the police. What happens Mm -hmm. if a victim calls the police? Well, we're fortunate, and again, the police, we all know, are not perfect, and and of course, we've had issues, certainly, but one of the things that we're fortunate here in Franklin County is that um, several years ago, um, Columbus Police Department, along with several of the police officers in the suburban areas, Choices, and other agencies that provide services to domestic violence survivors went through a training. Uh, That training uh, really uh, helped them to establish what is known as the Lethality Assessment Program. So essentially what happens if a person calls um, the police department because of a domestic incident or a domestic dispute is going on, police officers are trained when they go out to separate the victim or the survivor from the perpetrator. They are then asked a series of questions that are come from what is known as the danger assessment. And I think there's 11 questions on that. Uh, those questions include whether or not the abuser has uh, a weapon, whether or not they've got a child that's not uh, his child, whether or not the abuser has threatened that person, um, have they had to call the police before. So it asks a series of questions. And if the victim answers yes to any of those questions, the police officer will let the victim know that, hey, we've got this organization named Choices here in Franklin County. I'm going to get them on the phone. I would like for you to speak to them. The officer calls us and we, we gather up information and from that information that we gather, we then get the, we talk to the survivor about exactly what our services are. We talk about um, how we can help them. Uh, if they're at intimate risk of being harmed by the abuser, we immediately bring them into our shelter services um, if they do not have a safe place to go. And so we've been able to do that. Um, several, um, I know, police uh, jurisdictions across the country are familiar with the protocol and have been trained in it, and they also use it as well. And so what if the victim calls someone they believe they can trust, family and friends, and family and friends can force that person to go into treatment? What should someone do if they know someone else going through domestic violence? Okay, well, one of the things that you cannot do is force an individual to do that. They know that relationship better than you do. They are the ones that's living in it. 
so they understand the perpetrator better than you. So you cannot force a person to do that. They're already being forced to do things by the the, uh, perpetrator. Uh, So what we want to do is to empower them to make that decision for themselves because they understand that relationship and they understand the perpetrator better than anyone else. Things that I say that family members and friends can do is to continue to be supportive of that individual no matter what decision that person makes. Many times people will make that decision to stay. Like I said earlier, it takes someone six to eight times before they're finally out of that relationship. So you need to realize that this is a cyclical relationship and it's going to take time for that person to make that decision. I also encourage family members and friends to listen to that person and to not be judgmental of that individual and that relationship. We know that family members and friends do an excellent job of saying, hey, you know, you, you really need to leave. I think you're stupid because you stay. So they're putting that person down as well. So we encourage people to listen, to be supportive of whatever decision that they make, um, and to be there to validate that what is happening to them is not their fault. They did not cause this to happen, and that they're really, as a family member and a friend, they're concerned about them. They're concerned about their safety, and if they have children, they're concerned about the safety of the children. Let them know that um, they're not alone and that there is help available. Share with them the information of the DV provider that is in their community and let them know anytime you need me to go with you or to make that phone call, I'll be right there with you to do it. So I've seen families and friends who want to be supportive who have said, gee, we'll go beat the victim up or here's money so you can go back or we'll, we'll drive across town or across the country to come get you only to see the cycle repeat itself. Is there some right. type of limit or guideline for what being supportive means? I think you always are there no matter what. I think that that's one of the things that happens for many of the folks that end up in our shelter is that family members are tired. They get annoyed. They're also judgmental. So I encourage family members. I, uh, we understand that. But we encourage you to continue to be supportive of that individual. And, again, realize that the, uh, that, uh, that the person that they're involved with is extremely manipulative. He is very cunning. And that he knows exactly or she knows exactly what to say to pull that person back into that relationship. So as a family member, you want to say, look, these are people here that can help you. I'm concerned about your safety. Give them a call. But we know that people do come back and forth, and I know that family members also start to get annoyed. But at the same time that you're getting annoyed, there's going to be a day when that person picks the phone up and they're going to really need you. And, And here's another point coming from my memory. A weapon in your house hidden for burglars in the in the wrong moment Mm -hmm. the victim can go get that gun and shoot the perpetrator and that was something that came to me in my situation because my child said it's not safe here mom and I thought about that and that's when I left weapons in the house can be purchased for burglars but they can also be used for 
husbands and wives. And I would also caution people to be very careful. You need to also remember that if you pick that gun up and you do shoot to kill, there are many people that are sitting in the prison system because they killed an individual that was their perpetrator, Mm -hmm. but when they went to court. So you have to be careful that if you make that decision, there's a consequence from the, uh, for that uh, from that decision that you make, and that consequence may turn out to be that you're in jail or in prison because of it. Uh, we have been fortunate that we have seen some uh, some of the people that we've worked with through attorneys that have gotten off from their charges, uh, but there is many times they don't um, get off, and so just be aware that if you make that decision, there could be a consequence. So to our audience, to anyone who's listening, who is going through domestic violence and who is trying to overcome the denial and the shame of thinking that it's your fault, which it's not, to family and friends who are watching through and trying to be supportive of that person, here's the greatest weapon we can give you which is also the greatest gift we can give you for the holidays. It's first the knowledge that you do not have to live this way. There are organizations like LSS Choices in Central Ohio, and it's not that hard to find the name of the organization in your community. Just look up Google Domestic Violence. The organizations that do nothing all day long but help you get the support you need legally, financially, emotionally, mentally to survive domestic violence. That's the greatest thing you can do for your lives, the lives of your children, the lives of your loved ones. So Lillian Howard from LSS Choices in Central Ohio, can you please repeat the phone number of how people can get in touch with you? 614-224- Four six six three. I have a text message here from a friend I didn't even know who was listening in another city who said oh. it's still painful for her to listen to my story years later. I went to lunch with her way back when. I told her what I was going through, and her message today was, thank God you're a survivor. We want to be able to say that for all of our listeners mm-hmm. today on the window. And also, don't think of yourself as a victim, as someone weak if you leave. You are a survivor. People may wonder why you ended up in that situation, but they will applaud you if you choose to leave. So don't let public opinion govern your decision. Get out. And there's help to do that. Amen. Thank you to Lillian Howard from LSS Choices. Join us next week when we continue our discussions about safety. We're going to talk about cyber safety. We're going to talk about safety in general Mm -hmm. on the window. Have a good day.